Welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. Normally, we talk about this show as an audio postcard, but today, just like last week, that postcard would feature casinos and entertainment venues with signs that say, close for your safety. As the entire country continues to deal with the coronavirus, so does Vegas, a town that will persevere. So how has all this time sequestered at home affected you? The stress of the unknown may be affecting your mood. We're all in the same situation, but what can we do about it? We'll discuss this and more with our very special guest, Dr. John Huber. Dr. Huber has appeared on top-tier radio shows and national television programs. He's a clinical psychologist and the host of Mainstream Mental Health Radio, which is heard nationwide and features interviews with today's top mental health professionals. This whole coronavirus thing has a real significant impact on the United States and the whole world emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. That's something that Dr. John Huber, our guest, works on all the time, but maybe never under this stress. He's a clinical forensic psychologist with a great group, Mainstream Mental Health. You can go see them at MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Okay, Dr. Huber, uh, the whole world is sitting on your couch right now. We need you more than ever, don't we? (laughs) I think so. I think uh, we need to look at things with perspective and realize that for the majority of people, you know, this this should be time for you to kind of reflect back, maybe get a little simpler in your life, spend time with the people that you live with, your family, and, uh, you know, put down some of the electronics and maybe maybe we'll fix some things more than just this coronavirus. Well, do you see it kind of as an opportunity then to kind of reconnect, get away from some of this stuff? Because I got to say, if you want to drive people crazy, just sit there and either have the television on watching 24-hour news or looking at your phone and, you know, especially in social media. Uh, that's an important decision to kind of limit that, isn't it? I, I think it is, and I think we should do that anyhow. In fact, with with my practice, my past, my patients, and like that, one of the things that we tend to do is I try to get them to take a vacation from their data stream, not necessarily their phone, but their data stream and texting and like that. So I ask them to take a week off, and then one day a week, pick that day, and they don't do any data stream at all. And I think this is maybe a good way for all of us to kind of take a break. We can go back to our traditional kind of, I've got my favorite news shows like yours I want to listen to or I want to watch and turn everything else off in between and stay focused that way. Well, that sounds like a really good idea. And I think especially doing that for social media is important because I want to kind of – I was thinking about this before we we decided to chat, and I was saying social media strikes me as something that can always be a little difficult because it's a place where everybody doesn't have any rules anymore. They can all just be – experts and say what they want and that's it we have to kind of watch that right because i I would imagine particularly if you're reading a a stream of the same stuff you can get really scared really depressed you name it oh absolutely and it's really interesting because you know doing what i do i have a lot of people on my social media and i always try to put kind of a contrarian perspective so if everything is saying one thing i throw something out and and whether i believe it or not try to get the conversation going the other way. So we start looking at both sides of the coin. And it, it's it's hilarious to me how people who haven't paid much attention or, or maybe are new to some of my social media, how they re- almost react 
with all this emotion and how can you do this? They, they haven't been watching me long enough to understand what I'm trying to do. And it, it, it's, you know, people sit back and let them rant and rave, or sometimes they jump in and I never have to respond at all because, you know, right. but it, it's really fun to to watch them. And as they go through their ranting and me giving like simple questions and stuff like that, all of a sudden you can tell when they get it, when they go, Oh my God, I see what you're trying to do. You're not, you're not trying to tell me what you're saying is the absolute truth or that that's the only way to think you're trying to get me to think period. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, but, but now thinking, I think about people thinking about their finances and so forth. I mean, boy, you want to have a time to worry. This is it. So how how do you stop yourself from being consumed by worry? (laughs) Well, it goes to don't give yourself that stimuli. In other words, get off that 15-minute news cycle. You know, we used to be this subscription-based, so we had a newspaper delivered every morning. So you had a 24-hour news cycle. And, you know, the the, the printer deadline was 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening the night before, Today, we don't have that, and and the way that print media moved into digital stream was click-throughs. So they don't even change the story half the time. They just change the bullet point headlines just to get a, a, an emotional reaction from you and get you to click on it. And what we find out is most people don't even read the articles. The article may have nothing to do with the headlines, but they just want that click-through because that provides them with a money stream. And so they want you to do that every 10, 15, 20 minutes. So they're going to be working on that. And they got people who just do their media just to change the titles, change the bullet points to get those reactions. And they want the most extreme because the more people they can get ticked off, the more people are going to click on that. And, you know, it, it's the old adage, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, in this point, if it breaks your heart, if it makes you angry, that's what leads. Boy, that's smart. You know, and it makes me think, too. You know, you talked about the newspaper. Okay, there was a whole feel in journalism that we're going to take opinion out of it, but that's totally changed now. So depending on which channel you're watching, you can get you can get angry either way, right? And and again, it makes sense. Like what you're saying is to go back. You got to limit it. Oh, absolutely. And then the problem is we have these social media apps, and the people who write them, who work them, are amazing behavioralists, and they understand and they create algorithms so that pretty soon your data stream is filled up with almost 100% like-minded thoughts to the things you like and you repeat and you move forward with. So all of a sudden you got your headset on, you're crossing the street in New York City or Vegas or LA or Austin, Texas, and there's 50, 100 people crossing the street with you, and you think every single one of them thinks exactly like you do because you've stopped seeing alternative points of of view. And that's why I said I'm trying to get people to think, not necessarily to agree with what I'm saying, just to think. And we're not doing that anymore. So then when somebody does confront you and say, well, what about this perspective? People take it personally. You're attacking me. Look at all the hundreds of people that agree with me and you're attacking me. Why me? So now it's a very personal thing. And that emotion gets there, your anxiety peaks, your, your frustration. And when nobody jumps in to defend you, now you start thinking, am I really all alone? You start this complex com- combination of feelings. You start feeling maybe isolated and depressed. And it has nothing to do with that. It's not personal. It goes back to that whole click-through model of yeah. payments and how the algorithms on these things work with Instagram and uh, Facebook and all these different things. And they know that you respond like Pavlov's dog. And every time you get a like, 
or you get a response from somebody, you get a little bit of dopamine. And if they can keep you on that on that digital media, you can have your whole frontal lobe saturated with dopamine. And it's the exact same thing, only it's a very it's it's like slow dripping your your garden instead of coming out there and hosing it down once a day. You just continually keep the moisture in there. And it's it, it's exactly the same mechanism that works with heroin. And you know when you shoot up with heroin, only you get a thousand times more uh, dopamine than you do when you get that little like. You just get a little drip of it, and right. it saturates that forebrain. And the only thing that will help you when you get away from that is you need more of that dopamine. Right. And, I'm thinking of so, Richard Pryor as I'm listening to that and him talking about, you know, as you're freebasing, you just need more and more and more, and there's, there's never enough. And I, I could see how this could work the same way. It's exactly the same way. Now, now, if you look at it even deeper, let's say we, when we see our friends, we get the same dopamine. But we also, when we see them in person, and we hug them, and we kiss them, and we hold their hands, we pat them on the back, whatever, you know, that contact we have, we start off with um, oxytocin, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, all these other neurotransmitters and hormones that actually make our brain function normally. And we, the difference between the two is like drinking a diet soda. You know, you drink a diet soda, it's sweet, and it fills up your tummy, but there's no nutrition in it. So you're on the social media, and you get your tummy filled up with this dopamine drip all day, but your brain's not functioning right anymore because it's not getting all the neurotransmitters it needs. We are social animals. We need to be around other people. So now we're being socially isolated because of this fear of the coronavirus, which, you know, long story short, if we'd had a way to test everybody, we could just test, and the only people who are, who are testing positive would be quarantined, and everybody else could be going to work and everything else. We don't have enough because of government regulations that have been in place for decades. It's nothing, you know, none of our current administration had any, well, the ones that have been in office for more than 20 years probably could have done something about it. But um, the rest of them, you know, it's not really their fault. They're just in a reactionary situation now. And they're saying, hey, we can't test everybody because we don't have the test kits. Right, so right. So everybody gets to stay home. So now you need to socialize with your family as hard as that may be for some of us. You know, yeah. and we can we can <laughs> we can refill all those neurotransmitters by actually interacting face to face with our kids and our wives. And you know, somebody posted the other day, "Hey, there hasn't been sports on in two two and a half weeks." But the crazy thing is, there's this woman sitting on my couch. I guess she's my wife. She's kind of fun <laughs> to talk to. More with Dr. John Huber chairman for Mainstream Mental Health, a nonprofit organization that brings lasting and positive change to the lives of individuals that suffer from mental health issues in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. You are listening to Dr. John Huber, a mental health professional for over 20 years and a clinical forensic psychologist. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a great joke going around that has uh, – they're asked, they ask a guy, do you want to yeah, – there's two things you can do. There's A, you can stay with your wife and children, or B, and the guy says B, right? And that's <laughs> – yeah, you know, so – but you bring up a great point, and I kind of want you to go into that. So let's let's say you haven't had the greatest relationship. I guess it's another opportunity to kind of turn this around to something positive. Well, it can be, you know, a good opportunity to turn it around positive. And, you know, there, there, there's a lot of speculation 
in the in the mental health field, you know, what's going to happen in nine months? We're either going to have a lot of extra babies, the coronials, because the millennials are already taken, and this is the coronavirus, right? right? The cor- <laughs> coronials, I like that, and and or we're going to have a lot of filings for divorces. And <laughs> <laughs> go either way. And, and you know, we we have to look at divorces with with a grain of salt, you know, because think about it: fifty percent of our marriages end in divorce, but the other 50% end in death, which would you rather have it? You know, you just have to take perspective, I guess. But, um, okay, that wasn't maybe the funniest joke. But. No, I, I get it. <laughs> but 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 it brings up a point. If you are fighting with your wife or your kids, you're just having a miserable time, and now suddenly you're in there and you have to stay in there. Right. Is there something you kind of, you know, you're going to try to fix it, but if you can't, you sure as heck don't want to blow it up in this situation. Well, that's true. You don't. And the other side to that is, you know, maybe it's a red flag. You need to do something now before it gets to that point. You know, that we never really noticed it because we thought it was digital media getting in the way. Right. And maybe there's something else going on. And uh, it's it's something to pay attention to. And we've ignored things. We've, we ignore our normal um, behavioral, humanistic urges and, and insights because social media is so overwhelming for us. And, you know, I get a lot of, hey, it is, it is really fun to, to go out and hang out with my friends, but then I can't with my significant others. And so when they come in the office, I start giving them homework assignments. It's all about learning how to talk to each other again. We've lost that skill. This is a good time to go back and maybe retouch some of those things. And, uh, you know, you may not have the the wherewithal at this moment, you know, while you're being locked up and sequestered uh, for this virus to say, oh, well, here's all these wonderful skills and techniques, and wait, I can't go talk to somebody about this. Just go online and Google how to talk to people. It's crazy what you can find out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know. You know, just start there basic, and then if you're you're having troubles with this when this thing lifts, you know, call a therapist. It doesn't mean you're broken. It means you need some direction, some guidance. They're like a coach. We all had coaches, and and therapy is not a brainwashing situation, and it's a good opportunity for you to, hey, now we've got a red flag. You know, we had this opportunity when we're being forced to stay at home, so I'm not occupied by work. I'm not working on you know, some project that I may never, ever see the end of, you know, I'll, I'll be gone and the company's hired somebody else, you know, 10 years from now to finish it up. Uh, it, it's nothing like that. And it's real life. It's what's really, what really matters. And that's your family, the people you spend time with that are right there that are traditionally who we end up spending time with, but we've lost that altogether. Absolutely. And this is an opportunity to, Remind people what you always talk about. You go to your website, and you can certainly see it, and that's to erase the whole stigma of mental health. I mean, you're talking about going to a therapist. I think everybody in their lifetime probably should spend a little time there. It's, it's you know, in the same way that you go to, like you said, a coach or you go to the gym or you go to, you know, you have a good doctor doing some preventative medicine. Uh, therapy is a wonderful thing if, you know, if you have the right communication. Well, you know, think about it like this. We go to our dentist when we don't have cavities. Every six months we go and get a cleaning. 
why can't we go to a therapist? Not every six months, but every once or one or two years, you stop in and you see a therapist and you see the same one. And if something ever happens to you where all the dominoes line up right and they fall on top of you and you need help, you've got somebody who knows what you're supposed to look like when things are going right. So there's no question. You've already got a relationship with them. So you don't spend the first three or four sessions just trying to figure out who each of you are. And the other thing is if you never need a therapist, how many of us have had friends have come to us and say, you know, my world's falling apart, my wife's leaving me, you know, I'm getting fired from work, whatever, my kids are addicted to drugs, I need help. And you go, oh, maybe you should talk to a therapist. Well, right. think about if now you can change that around and say, hey, I got this friend, John, maybe you can talk to him. I've talked to him a couple of times. He just happens to be a psychologist, but, you know. Right, right. No, it's a you're, great you're, point. You're more likely to get your friend to actually go somewhere that you've got a connection with, even if you don't need it because you're actually suffering from directly from uh, mental health issues. So having that, that, that base that you can refer to can be very beneficial to someone who never would naturally go and see a therapist because they don't have those mental health issues, but their friends do. Well, that's why I think what mainstream mental health talks about is just so important. You know, I had a, a friend that I grew up with, uh, and from the time he was 14, manic depressive. I mean, you, you could look at this ups and downs, t textbook, right? And yet the family would always say, oh, he's down now. And nobody would ever, nobody would ever say it. You know, and I'm screaming, like, hey, he needs help. And they were afraid because it somehow was something wrong about you. And yet these same people that it certainly, if anything ever went wrong, you know, if, if you have diabetes, you take insulin. If you break a uh -huh. bone, right? It's the same thing, isn't it? Other than it's sometimes a little harder to take care of, but, but that's all the more reason why you got to do it well part of the reason why it's hard is because we don't know enough about it because we keep it quiet because of the stigma you know when i have people from certain segments of our community who come in and they finally bring their kid in or their their partner or some child adult child of theirs and we sit down and i get a diagnosis for them and they all look like you know, oh, my God, you know, and I say, what's going on? What's going on? You know, we know what to do now. We have a course of business. We can go through and follow this plan, and you can actually get some relief for this person. And I get a story like, oh, it must have been something my grandmother did. We're being cursed by God. Right. I'm like, excuse me? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> wow, sins of the grandmother are now being laid on the grandchildren? What's the, you know? Exactly. <laughs> um, but it, <laughs> it goes to that, that witchcraft, you know, and, and it's pretty scary. <laughs> it, it really is, and yet it's something we need to deal with. You know, another thing, we, we get back to the coronavirus, and one of the things you talk about when you're in heavy stress or something like that, got to exercise. Now, we're kind of limited, but it's all the more important that we're, we're in our homes. we got to find some way to, to do that, don't we? Well, and, and just because we say you're in your homes doesn't mean you're, you have to keep all your doors locked and shut. You know, walk around in your backyard, walk around your front yard, get your dog, go for a walk. Get your kids. You don't put them on a leash, but you take them for a walk, too. And, uh, you know, get around and check out your community and look at things. Just keep your safe distance from people who aren't in your core family. You know, that, that six to ten foot radius, you know, and be friendly. Find, you know, find your neighbors that you haven't seen in a while, and especially your elderly neighbors. 
you know, make sure that they're all right because they, they don't have the physical ability to go and stand in line for four hours to go get their roll of toilet paper. More from the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health, Dr. John Huber, in just a moment. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the BizTalk Radio Network. You're listening to Dr. John Huber, a mental health professional with privileges at two long-term acute care hospitals. You know, knock on their door and, or call them and actually talk to them because they don't like to text any more than you or I do. You know, they're not a millennial that have these thumbs that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's biceps used to. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it's... Call them, talk to them, say, hey, you got everything you need. I'm going to I'm gonna run to the store, even if you're not. You've already got stuff here, whatever. Just, you know, hey, I've got, I can pick up some extra paper for you. I could, if that's what you want, I, I can get some, some ground beef, maybe some turkey, what, you know, vegetables, what do you need? And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised, and they're going to be overwhelmed that somebody has taken the time and the moment to, to touch base with them, and you're not blood relative. And that's going to be empowering for them, but it's also going to be so personally enriching for you. You're talking about how to fight this depression. Man, go out and help some people who are less fortunate than you. And it doesn't mean you have to go and build a cabinet and spend all day locked in with them who might be sick. There's some simple things you can do. You know, find out what they need by the phone or, you know, and put the bag of groceries on their front porch and give them a call. Hey, I put them on your porch. They're there for you now. You know, I love that. that. I absolutely love that. I think it's great. You know, you mentioned toilet paper. So I got to ask you, because I know a lot of people are thinking, what drives people to that? I mean, th- this has, has nothing to do with toilet paper, that, and yet people are hoarding that. They go in the stores and you see some crazy stuff that you know, there's no reason for it at that point. Why do we do that? Is that something in our makeup that uh, we're, we're so uh, afraid we got to get into these shells and protect ourselves or what? <laughs> Well, we, we, we are designed, you know, we, we have to, you know, it's funny, <laughs> this whole, I mean, you bring up a whole nother topic that I think is just, just so biological, and that's that we have to be able to take care of ourselves. We have to be able to defend ourselves. So what do we do? Well, we fall back on something, the closest thing we've ever had to this is like a hurricane or maybe a tornado, but tornadoes usually for, you know, unless it devastates your, your community, it's for a couple hours. But if it's not, then you need water. You need things like toilet paper. And a hurricane's the same way. You need dry goods. You need food. You need water. You need, you need paper towels and toilet paper. But you don't need three-year supply of toilet paper. But the problem is we don't know what we need. So toilet paper is something that I can put it out in my garage, and it's going to be there three years from now. So if I get a three-year supply, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to be using toilet paper the rest of my life. So it's a safe thing to buy. It's relatively inexpensive, and, man, it takes up a big corner of my house now. So look what I've been doing. I'm, I'm building up my stores and it makes us feel like we're somehow defending ourselves. It's just like all of a sudden, 
you know, I'm reading these articles about people who have been anti-gun, 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 and now they're deciding, wait a minute, if this whole system, I have to be able to defend myself, and they're going online trying to buy guns. They go, wait, I have to, I, I can't just buy it online like I've been telling everybody you can do. You actually have to get, get somebody to run a background check on you. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah. laughs> wake up, okay? That's what, that's what all the gun advocates have been saying. There's already mechanisms in place, and you guys say you want more, but you don't even know what's there. And... Now you want to defend yourself, which is the whole reason, because, you know, guns level the playing field. We don't necessarily like to think about that. But if you go back historically, you know, what, what do we have? We had bows and arrows and we had clubs and swords and we kept going up and you had to wear this heavy chainmail. So only strong men could do this kind of stuff. And women were left to be basically minions and do what the men tell them to do. And all of a sudden you add something like a small gun in there and men have to stop and listen to women. It actually fostered women's rights in this world. And countries that allow gun ownership, women have more rights and have rights to ownership and voting and all this. Where you go to countries where they're not, like Saudi Arabia, women are told to be kept quiet and their three-year-old son can tell them what to do. And if it's in public and they don't do it, they can get stoned. So, you know, think about, think about what that's done. But we put that now in a perspective of this pandemic, which is an evil-sounding word, but all it means is that it's a disease that is found on all the populated continents of the world. We yeah. can say that about the flu. We can say that about the cold, about tonsillitis, about uh, syphilis, gonorrhea. Those are all pandemics. Right. And it sounds so evil, though. It gives people in authority, this ability to manipulate us psychologically and say, no, you have to do this and you have to do that. When the reality of it is, you know, for people with strong immune systems, it's really not much of a threat. It's the ones that are immunocompromised and they are so at risk that the rational thing to do is to sequester everybody until we can test people to find out who needs to be quarantined. And, I mean, if you're immune deficiency, it, it, your risk of, of having a fatal case of this is very high. So, you know, if, if you're a responsible human being who cares about other people, you're going to say, okay, I need to be responsible. I, I maybe want to go play basketball with all my friends and maybe pick up a pickup game at the Y with everybody else who's there. Don't go down there. Nobody else is there anyhow right now because most of us really don't want to cause harm to other people. And uh, I think that's one of the unifying things that's happening as a country. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a drawn-out, chronic case of 9-11 as opposed to that acute, we're going to tear down the buildings right now. This is like stretched out, and maybe we can actually do something about it if we just protect the people who can't protect themselves. Makes a lot of sense. And I, these type of things, Doc, are a case of brings out the best and the worst of people. And hopefully, I think we're seeing more of the best than the worst. But, this, the, but it, there's something about these events that people that are normally kind of middle of the road and so forth kind of go one way or the other. Is there a reason for that? Is, is it the fear factor or what? Well, it, it's two or three things. One of them is the fear factor. The second one is... In 2007, this new thing hit the marketplace called a smartphone, and now I can interact and create my own web show, and everybody in the world has access to it, and I can tell people my peace of mind, and then a few years after that, we realized, wait a minute, 
I can do this anonymously. So I can say and rip anybody, and it doesn't matter, but it really does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, so let's let's look beyond this now. I mean, this is going to end at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, but yes. where, where do we go from here? I mean, are there going to be a lot of people coming out of this that – their whole psyches have been changed forever, and it's going to be people like yourself and your whole uh, group of people, doctors such as yourself, are going to have to kind of deal with us and get us back kind of on a regular uh, on a regular level because I think this type of emotion doesn't just disappear. No, it doesn't just disappear. But what, what I see happening, and, and it will happen, it's going to take some time, is right now we're sequestered to our homes, and we're going to get into a pattern. And then we'll get comfortable with that pattern, and we won't be so distressed about being in our homes. Hopefully it doesn't last very long. And the minute the doors open and we can go back to our old behaviors, we're going to jump right into those patterns because it's comforting. It's what we know. And, you know, right now we're washing our hands 10, 15 times a day. When I go to my hospitals, I'm washing them 30 to 60 times a day. I do it every time I go to the hospital because I deal with sick people with communicable diseases, with airborne diseases, with with the same type of water droplet viral diseases and things like that. And I protect my patients and I want to protect my family and not bring that stuff home. So I'm always doing this stuff. And, you know, most doctors don't bring this stuff home to their families. Why not? Because they practice basic, simple hygiene and that's the important lesson I think we should learn here because we could really reduce things like the flu and other cold problems, if we would learn that, hey, it is important. Don't just go stick your hands under the faucet and, you know, grab a paper towel and act like you washed your hands. Actually use some soap. Actually get the water as warm as you can get it. And, you know, say your ABCs twice. Get a good scrubbing top, bottom, between your fingers, around your nails. Rinse your hands off, dry them off completely because moisture just is a haven for bacteria stuff to grow. So you want your hands completely dry when you walk out of there. Um, basic yeah. hygiene. You know, you cough, you know, cough into your arm, cough, cough into a hanky if you've got one. But the problem with hankies is, you know, it blows out the sides and stuff like that. But it's better than nothing, right. and you need to only use it once or twice. Don't keep it in your pocket all day long. You know, throw it in the clothes washer, and you know, and you get a white one so you can bleach it really well. Yeah. But basic hygiene. You know, when you go on an airplane, I I, I travel a lot. I go and do shows, TV shows, radio shows, live, and things like that. And I get on my planes, and the first thing I do is I pull out my little Lysol wipes. They have them at you know every dollar store has a little the travel packs. And I wipe down every hard surface and every piece of leather that I'm going to be touching, even the knobs on the air vents and the call buttons and all that kind of stuff. The first thing I do after I stow my bag, and then I use my hand sanitizers on my hands, and, you know, I don't get sick getting on planes, and I don't get sick leaving the planes. More with Dr. John Huber, chairman for Mainstream Mental Health, in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Coast to Coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. You are listening to Dr. John Huber, the chairman of Mainstream Mental Health. It, it's, you know, 
do I have a super immune system? No, I just take precautions. And if we would all start doing this, we're going to start reducing the number of people with the flu, the number of people with common cold. Think about it. We lose 360 to 380 people a day during the flu season. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot when you're looking at one day, but, man, how many people have we lost in the United States now because of this? Worldwide, we've lost around 13,000 people since December when we identified the yeah. virus. Now, looking from January 1st to the first 60 days, we lost 22,000 people in the United States alone just to the flu virus. Wow. So why are, why are we freaking out over this versus the flu? The flu is something we know, and we have grown accustomed, and we just deal with it. So we don't freak out over it, and we go on about our lives as, as if nothing changed. So you ask, are we going to have some permanent changes here? The one change I hope we get is better community hygiene, taking care of ourselves. I walked through the stores yesterday, and I noticed that they're having to restock all the bleach, all the bleach. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, the roaches must be going nuts because everything's getting cleaned. And I mean... <laughs> Well, that's great advice, and, and it's exciting because, you know, we always think, well, how, how do we lengthen life, right? We always want to see those numbers going up. This is one way of doing it. I mean, if, if suddenly people aren't dying at the same rate for the flu and for these things, uh, life as a whole is going to get a lot better. It is, and right now, you know, even if you look at Italy, you know, they have one of the oldest populations in Europe, and, you know, one of the things that has come out of there is about 99% of the people who died in Italy had multiple diseases and medical issues before they got the coronavirus. So that's that immune compromised population I'm talking about. We have to protect them. And we can do that by just being hygienic and taking care of, you know, hey, if you got a cold, work from home. And bosses, yeah. we, we should have some... Some, some, you know, there's certain things that you can't do from home. I mean, we all know that. But if there's anything you can do from home, your bosses should let you do that. Or say, okay, take three days off, and when you no longer have a fever, you know, give it 24 hours and come back to work. Right. Just like they do in the public school systems, and they stop the whole school from getting the flu and, you know, by doing that. Give it 24 hours without a fever, and then you can come back to work, even with a drippy nose, a cough. Now, coughs are kind of crazy because coughs – there, there's this neurological trigger in the back of your throat, and once you start a cough, you can, whether it's caused by allergies or anything else, when, when the cause for that cough, whether it's the flu and all that, is finished, your body will still have that trigger in there, and it, it'll cause you to cough for six to eight weeks after the disease is gone. Wow. So a cough is kind of confusing for most of us, because somebody's coughing, why are they back at work, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So we can't go crazy with that. So one other thing then. So that's obviously something great that can come out of this. The one thing I kind of worry about, and it kind of goes back to where we started, we are social animals. We like to hug and shake hands and do all that stuff. Are we going to go back to that, or are we going to we, be- we need to. I think so, too. Don't you? I mean, overall, because sh why should we be afraid of something that has we've moved on past? Right, and if we do basic hygiene, and hey, I'm just getting over a cold. I want to hug you. Let's not do that today. You know, just it, that improves our communication skills right there. And then somebody goes, hey, this person respects me enough. They don't want to, even if there's not really a real chance that I'll ever get anything, they just want to respect my health. Right. Talk about telling people how important they are to you. You know, it's like, it's like I tell everybody, you know, when you get together with people, especially in a business meeting or something, you're going to do dinner or lunch with a business, potential, you know, client, 
pull your phone out right away and turn it off right there in front yes. of them. You don't have to say a word, but that tells them that regardless of what else happens in this world, you are the most important thing right now. What a great, and what great advice. Wants to, yeah, absolutely. But do that with your family when you sit down yeah. at dinner. You know, you guys go to your Friday night dinner or whatever, pizza night, and you go sit down, pull your phone out. Because kids, especially your own kids, they listen to what you do, not what you say. So show them they deserve the respect of you turning off that phone. And they won't do it right away, but they catch on. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Dr. Huber, what a pleasure. I tell you, uh, in difficult times, this was therapeutic for me, and I'm sure for everybody listening. Uh, Tell people how they can find out more about your fantastic organization. Where do we go? Well, you can go to my website and follow all our uh, media links from there. The easiest way to go to MainStreamMentalHealth.org is actually DrPsycho.org, because you remember that one. It's D-R-P-S-Y-C-H-O dot O-R-G, and it'll take you there and click on all of our, our media links. We don't have anything specifically about you know, diseases and stuff like that. We deal with primarily psychological issues and, and we're a good starting point if you need to know about anxiety and OCD and things like that. But if you follow on on our social media, we're always doing what's currently in the news and taking perspectives that way. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's a volunteer program and so I end up doing most of the online stuff. So I'm not always in there resetting my, my uh, website, but the social media, uh, we have a couple volunteers that help me do that. So we stay on top of that pretty pretty much every day. Uh, so uh, pay, pay attention to that. Follow us if you feel like helping us out and, you know, maybe helping us get a, get a new web designer and get stuff going, yeah. make a donation there on our site. Um, but uh, other than that, spread the news. Just, you know, go on our podcast. We, re-bo- we re-podcast a lot of the interviews I do, plus I have my own little uh, podcast show, Mainstream Mental Health Radio, and we talk about a whole lot of things mental health, and you can find us anywhere podcasts are, Spotify, Spreaker, uh, iTunes, all over. Just uh, look us up, Mainstream Mental Health Radio, and help support people and shows like this one right here that we're, we're on right now because we've got, we've got to start breaking that stigma. We've got to be able to talk about it, about mental health, and it's crazy. I've got some of the longest-running shows that I'm on have nothing to do with mental health. Um, WFAN in New York City, the largest sports show, channel station in the nation, has me on regularly. And, you know, last month they gave me two hours to myself in the studio, and I just took phone calls from sports fans. Yeah. And they weren't talking about the Giants. They were talking about, hey, mental health affects me this way. What can I do? Help me. You know, and it's important to people. And when people who who do things like this. I'm on several economic shows, economic shows, and I got, man, why do you want me on there? And they go, honestly, my ratings go up during your segment. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's good. People care about this. That makes a lot of sense. And we want to have you on again once all this stuff's over, just to talk please. to people that love Vegas. They'd love to hear about that, too, to make sure they're not going there for the wrong reasons. <laughs> well, maybe I can pop out there, because I've only landed there and sat in the airport for a couple hours, to be honest with you. I've never even walked down. Oh, the you got to do it. So. I mean, now there wouldn't be much to do, but but. Uh, that will change, so we'd Absolutely. love to have you. Well, thanks a lot, Doc. Appreciate it. We will have you on again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening today. Join us again next week. We're not sure who we'll have on, but we're going to cover this situation honestly and get ready for things to get back to what we are all used to. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great weekend, and please stay safe. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you that Vegas never sleeps.